Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. The book of Revelation, as you know, is one of the most dynamic and interesting books in the entire Bible. Everybody wants to understand what the book of Revelation is all about. We've learned in our studies so far that the book of Revelation is a revelation for the church. It is Jesus' word of encouragement to us as the church. Initially, it was written to seven churches in Asia Minor, each with a separate letter. The seven churches represent the complete church. All seven letters speak to us as the body of Christ. It's Jesus speaking to us about what's going to happen in the world and to reassure us that he's with us, to encourage us to stay true in our mission, and to always remember that the end of human history is really the beginning of a new world order as God makes a new heaven and a new earth. So the book of Revelation gives us patience, it gives us endurance, it gives us hope, it gives us the understanding that our God is in control. We've also learned that it is a book of revelation of world events. The book of Revelation clearly shows us throughout the church age, from the time that Jesus established the church to the birth of the church at Pentecost, through nearly 2,000 years, we have seen these world events unfold. We've seen spiritual forces at work in the world. We understand history. So The book of Revelation is always speaking to the church in the present. Don't think of it as a book about the future. First, think about it as a book about the present, about how we live in this world. And to understand a lot of the ecological dynamics, the political dynamics, the historical dynamics, all the things that happen in the world, we get an understanding that the Bible gives us an insight into the type of world in which we live and that we are to conduct our ministry and preach the gospel in the midst sometimes of spiritual warfare and great spiritual conflict. And the book of Revelation shows us that. Now, third of all that we want to look at today is that this book is first and foremost a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember the word revelation or apocalypse in the Greek means to make something known that was previously hidden, to fully disclose the mystery. And here we see a full disclosure You remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist come back from the dead or Elijah from the Old Testament or one of the great prophets. But who do you say that I am, he asked. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Just he had a revelation of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. There's that same word apocalypse, but my father who is in heaven. And so the greatest revelation that any person ever experiences is a revelation of who Jesus is. When you realize that he's more than a good man, more than a moral example, more than a teacher of love, more than the one who gave us the Sermon on the Mount and taught us the Lord's Prayer, more than a healer, more than a psychologist, more than a social revolutionary, all these different ways that people have limited ways of understanding Jesus, more than a prophet, It is when you realize in your heart that Jesus is more than all of these categories. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It is that moment of revelation that you and I put our faith in Him and receive Him as our Savior. 
And the Christian life in many respects is a continued revelation of understanding Jesus and all the fullness of his glory and his power. Paul the Apostle expressed his greatest desire, which we all share in Philippians 3.10. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Even though Paul was devoted to Jesus and experienced Jesus in a vision on the Damascus Road, he still had that desire to understand more of the wonders of the person of Jesus and of his grace. He wanted to know Jesus closer and better. Well, the book of Revelation is, first and foremost, a revelation of the person and work of Jesus. Don't think of it as a book that reveals the future first or a book that reveals the Antichrist and 666 and all these interesting symbols that people are wanting to know what they mean. It is, first and foremost, a book that tells us about who Jesus is, what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, what he does today as our high priest, and what he will do when he returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. So John's first vision of all these visions he sees is a vision of Jesus. His mind and his heart are captivated with this new vision of Jesus, greater than the vision he had when he walked on earth with Jesus as one of his 12 disciples, greater than the vision he had when he saw the risen Lord on the day of the resurrection. But now he sees Jesus in all the fullness of his divinity as the Son of God. And this Christ that we see in the Revelation is the Christ who will return again, the one who is Lord of all. So in Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 10, he writes and shares with us this vision. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and that represents the church. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. So here's Jesus standing in the midst of his church like the Son of Man, a messianic title used in Daniel. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. Now, those seven stars represent the ministers of the church and the people of the church. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. John says, when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. Well, who is this figure that he sees in this vision? Who is Jesus? Well, he says that he is the son of man. That title is used 86 times of Jesus in the New Testament Gospels. It's taken from Daniel 7, 13, a messianic term. And here we see Jesus as the Messiah. This is also Jesus' favorite term to refer to himself. He often called himself the Son of Man. He was the Son of God, but he shared our humanity. He shared our humanity. In that sense, he's the Son of Man because he participated in the struggles of our humanity. 
Now, this Son of Man is also revealed in the book of Revelation as the Lamb of God. In fact, Jesus is called the Lamb of God 30 times. That's the most common designation of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah as the King of kings and Lord of lords. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world after his baptism, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1 and 29. It was an allusion to the Old Testament Passover that they celebrated in Egypt and the atonement that came through the Passover. All that was pointed to Jesus on the cross who atoned for our sins and pardoned the world of its iniquity. So Jesus is revealed here as the Son of Man who shared our humanity. This is the same Son of Man that John knew when he walked on this earth. He's also called the Lamb of God who fulfilled God's plan of redemption. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah because that was the royal tribe of the kingship. That was the tribe of King David, and it reveals that Jesus is Lord. And here we see Jesus standing in the midst of the lampstands in the church, speaking to the church, revealing to us who he truly is. Some churches that they have lost the knowledge of who Jesus is. Some have even compromised the gospel. They don't see him as the perfect, sinless son of God. But this is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, to believe who Jesus is, fully God who shared our humanity, sinless, the Savior of the world. Well, where does this son of man stand? He says he stands in the midst of the lampstands. Think of that. The Prince of Peace is present in the midst of a suffering church that goes through persecution, and he brings us forth triumphantly. You can personalize that. Jesus is standing with you. Jesus stands in the midst of the church. He doesn't want to be pushed to the outside of the church. He doesn't want to be pushed to the periphery. Many churches sometimes make social issues and cultural issues and fellowship issues. They make all that front and center, and they talk less and less about Jesus. They sing less and less about Jesus. They preach less and less about Jesus. But Jesus is in the midst of the church, right in the middle of our thoughts, of our worship, of our preaching, of our ministry, of our help for the poor. It's all done in Jesus' name. I once heard about random acts of kindness, and that was popular for a while. But really, if you're going to do an act of kindness as a Christian, you need to do it in Jesus' name and tell somebody, I'm helping you in Jesus' name. Because bringing people to Jesus is the most important part of ministry. When Jesus talked about worship, he said he would be in our midst, not on the outside, not on the edges, not on the periphery. Matthew 18 and 20, he said, for if two or three come together in my name, there am I in their midst. And here we see Jesus standing in the midst of the lampstands. He is right in our midst. He's center in the church so that he's the focal point of our attention. Well, how does he appear to John, this son of man? How does John see him? Well, he doesn't appear as the baby in Bethlehem the way the shepherds saw him or the magi who came from the east. He doesn't appear as the teacher of the Beatitudes. We think of Christ up in the northern Galilee the day he began to give the Sermon on the Mount. I've been in that part of the world and thought it was somewhere in these rolling hills that Jesus began to say, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He was known as a teacher, as a rabbi. But here he doesn't appear as a teacher of the word of God. He doesn't appear as the crucified Savior, the way that he looked on the cross. Or when they took his broken body off the cross and buried him. He doesn't look like this suffering servant who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. No, 
He looks differently now. He doesn't even look like he did as the risen Lord the day they first saw him on the resurrection morning. At first, they didn't even recognize him. The disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus walked along them. Perhaps he had like a hood or they couldn't see all of his face. They didn't fully realize who he was. And maybe their faith wouldn't let them believe that a resurrection was possible until finally he revealed himself to them. But he didn't look like he did that day. And that was a glorious sight to have seen the risen Lord on the first Easter. But here Jesus doesn't even look like that. All of those attributes of Jesus are now brought to culmination. Now we see him as he really appears in his divinity. You see, Jesus is God, the Son of God, who shared our humanity. But when he came into this world in a human form, his divinity was veiled by his humanity. But now that humanity has been stripped away. Now John sees him in all of his glory. Moses wanted to see God. In Exodus chapter 33 and chapter 34, we read that beautiful story when he received the law of God and he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, no one may see me and live. But he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and it says the goodness of the Lord passed by and all he caught was a glimpse of the backside of God walking by him. But here John sees Jesus. He sees God. And that prayer of Moses is here answered, show me your glory. And here we see the glory of Jesus. The next time somebody tells you, well, all religious leaders are the same, Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, the Hindu gods, you can say, no, they're not all the same. Those idols are figments of imagination. Those men are just normal, common, ordinary people. Jesus is the Son of God revealed in all of his glory. And what is his message? Fear not. His message is so powerful. And this becomes the message of the book of Revelation. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. And the point is, this is a message not just for John, but John's representing us, the church. His message to the church today is don't be afraid. You look at what's going on in the world today and there's always something going on in the world in every era of church history. People say the world has never been as bad as it is. Yes, it has. It has experienced these birth pains. That's what the book of Revelation reveals, the, the tumultuous condition of world humanity and sin and suffering. But in the midst of that world, Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be overtaken with anxiety. Remember right before he went to the cross at the Last Supper, what was his challenge? John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here Jesus is again saying to the church, you're living in a chaotic world. You're being persecuted for the gospel. You're seeing world changes. You're seeing political oppression, but don't be afraid. Why? Because he's right here with us. He's in our midst. In fact, he tells us three reasons here why we should not be afraid. He says, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one, and I hold the keys of death and hell. So the first reason we don't need to be afraid is because he is the first and the last, and that is used here throughout the book of Revelation. Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, the first and the last. What he says is, I'm the God of history. Jesus with the Father created the universe in the beginning, and he will be here at the end. And there's no end in the sense of destruction. There's an end in the sense of God fulfilling his plan. Jesus said, I'm at the beginning, I'm at the end. And it's true for us personally. Revelation 12 and 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher 
of our faith. Think of that. The God who started a work of grace in us is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. Philippians 1 and 6, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and your last. I'm the beginning point of the new birth. I'm with you throughout all the seasons of life. I'm with you to the very end. That's his last promise in Matthew 28 and 20. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And that's true personally. Jesus is with you at the beginning of your life, and he's with you all the way to the end, through every season of life. Whatever we're going through today, personally or as a church, Jesus is with us. He's the first and the last. He finishes what he starts. He says, I'm the living one. Right before he went to the cross, he told his disciples in John 14, 19, because I live, you shall live also. Paul said in Philippians 3, 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You see, when you're born again through faith, you have the promise of eternal life. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. At Lazarus' tomb, he said in John 11, 25 and 26, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, the body may transition out, the body may wear out, but the soul is eternal. Jesus says, I'm the living one and I've given you everlasting life. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys. The keys represent authority and power. I'm in control, is what he says. I'm in charge. Even over death, you don't have to worry about death or Hades in the Greek, hell, it could be translated to English, or the grave, or the afterlife. He said, I'm in charge of everything. I hold the keys. What a reassurance to us today. Maybe you're anxious, and maybe you're worried about world events, or you're worried about problems in your own life. Just remember, the Lord of eternity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is with you in your life. He's with you in your job. He's with you in your home. He's with you in your family. He's in the midst. And he says, don't be afraid of what you're going through. I'm the first and the last. I'm going to continue to work in your life and finish what I've started. I'm the living one. I've given you life, abundant life today, eternal life. I'll hold the keys. I'm in charge. And, you know, you can take any problem I've discovered, any situation, and you can bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, heal me, save me, deliver me. And you'll see the power of Jesus in your life. He's in control. He governs. He can change the course of events. He can change the circumstances. And today we come to him with that kind of faith. We take his message to heart. No matter how worried you are today or anxious, I want you to take the word of Jesus to you personally today. He says, do not be afraid. Join me for prayer. Lord, we thank you for this glorious vision we've seen of you today to remind us of who you are in us and in the world. And today, Lord, we take your word to heart. I pray you'll dispel the fear and anxiety and depression that many are battling with today. Set them free. May they have a new sense of confidence today that you are with them. And if God before us, who can be against us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining me today. What a joy to share the word of God together. Do me a favor and get as many of your friends and family to subscribe to my podcast Get them to listen to the Bible study each week as well. And make sure today you have the Mount Parent app on your phone so that we can stay connected. You can support the work of the ministry. You can give tithes and offerings. You can get involved in ministry. You can listen to teachings and the messages and the music of the church. It's amazing what you can receive spiritually and how you can participate in ministry just through the Mount Parent app. Sunday's coming. I'm looking forward to seeing you and your family in church. We've got a great day planned. Invite somebody to church. God bless you. Have a great day. 
Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.